This is the film show for geeks. No, it's not. For film geeks. This is the film show. (laughs) Oh, what a great start. (laughs) Welcome to episode nine of The Film File. My name's Lee Ford. My name's Andy Beacon. This is the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And we've got a pre-Christmas show full of festive fun, some reviews. I'm talking about the big film, which of course is, is going to be Star Wars. Not Cats. Uh, maybe Cats. <laughs> maybe. Uh, we've got some news for you and the usual neat thing. Uh, kicking off with a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Since the last time we saw you, uh, both Andy and I have grown longer beards. And um, our subscriptions are going up and our reviews and ratings are going up. But we implore you, as we do every week, please, please subscribe. The perfect Christmas gift. Please subscribe to the show. Um, get your friends to subscribe. The more uh, listeners that we get, the better the show does. And we can eventually start chucking money at this baby. It's re- I, I want to add that it's really nice looking at the stats each week and seeing that over a seven-day period, there's clearly new people coming and finding us because the back episodes are getting delved into more and oh, more. Oh, that's good news. So it's people who are finding our most recent ones and then backtracking. We appreciate everyone who listens and we, we appreciate any feedback as well at the same time. Yeah, get in touch with us. You can get in touch with us via Twitter on... At Filmfile UK. Or just drop us a line on either of our Instagram accounts, which uh, we, we both post on. Rolling on with this pre-Christmas show. And when I say pre-Christmas show, this is the last Friday of work for most of us. Well, definitely for me. And uh, the, the Christmas festivities begin. Are you looking forward to Christmas? You got any plans? Uh, working. Are you? Right yeah. through. Are you working Christmas Day? Joy's, uh, well, look, we're not open on Christmas Day, but I've got Christmas Eve, Boxing Day. Is there anything on... Because um, I've got this tradition, and I've had it since I was a little kid, of picking up the... the well, it used to be when I was a kid, you get the TV times and the radio times, because for those listeners who are from abroad or uh, of under the... Or millennials, let's, get, let's make a point... There used to be only four channels at one point, and the TV Times and the Radio Times was was, was the holy grail of what was on at, at Christmas. You used and to look forward to that two-week one that came yeah, out. Yeah, that's the one, exactly. And sit there with a pen, circling, circling it. everything, and working out, because you couldn't, like, like you could only record one thing at a time on your VHS player. Yeah. You had to see, I could, I can record that, but that then clashes with that. Does that get repeated at some point? Yes, that get repeated, and you had to plan a whole Christmas viewing it was schedule. Just it was that it was a Christmas minefield, you know. Uh, and being a kid, of course, you'd you'd start at the morning and you'd find the reruns like Charlie Brown Christmas, which I I, I still adore and hold up as being an entire favourite. You get that circled, make sure that you were going to be in. You you choose your day about what you could record and what you would go out. And I still have that tradition of getting the Radio Times to this day and circling, even though to be honest. I never end up watching them, <laughs> but I, I, I will still circle. But I did notice there's a few things I'm looking forward to, and one of them is the uh, Stephen Moffat Dracula. Yeah, um, Moffat's, I mean, despite what people's mixed opinions are for his uh, stint on Doctor Who, you can't fault his Sherlock. No. Uh, there was his Jekyll as well. About Which I heard was very good. Ago, very solid. Yeah, I didn't And so I, I love when he takes like classic literature kind of aspects and brings it for a modern conventional setting. Or does his own little take on it? I think he's a creative storyteller. I can't wait to see what that looks like. Yeah, it looks really interesting. Did you, as a sort of sidestep from that, did you see War of the Worlds? I did. Um, it was a very mixed bag. Yes. 
I loved the whole showing the post-war aspect that we'd never seen before yeah. and how the world was affected. But I just felt that at times it felt too amateur dramatics. You know what? I agree. And I think it was less War of the Worlds and more War of, war of Woking. Yeah. Because ne- you never saw the world. You you just saw, um, yes, it happened to these these uh, bunch of characters. And so, yes, you'd see everything through through their periphery. But there was never there was never a sense of scale to it. It felt very very low key, uh, and ultimately I, w- I was I was quite disappointed. I know recently you've finished Watchmen. Yes, I have yet to do it. My plan last night was to to watch the last <laughs> two episodes, but stuff. There's just, yeah. a series that properly sticks the landing, and it's it's been said since day one that it was going to be one story, and yet it's one story. Yes, there are little threads that are hanging, but they're not important threads, and it's things that other writers and creators can pick up on and draw new stories out of later on. But absolutely, the final episode just is so satisfying. It's rare to get something that can manage to do a full season where every episode just builds and builds and builds and then it manages to be successfully resolved. This is one of those rare examples. It's got fantastic reviews. And my other half, she's never seen Watchmen, the movie. She's never read the books. And it was kind of interesting because at some points we were both confused together. And, and when I mean confused, not by the plot, but as to, to what was happening and what was coming next in that good way that gripping television should be. So we, we both shared something and, you know, I kind of fill in the blanks with that. I think she got lost a little bit, but that was the, the power of the TV series that it, it, it allowed somebody who wasn't a fan to come in and, and watch it and, and enjoy it. It's been a fantastic series. Is there anything you're looking forward to watching at Christmas? Nothing's really stuck on my radar at this point in time. All the shows that I'm heavily obsessed with are all ending. Yes, they do. All the good ones kind of get there's out of the way. On, on Amazon Prime as well, there's a Mr. Robot, which is wrapping up. It's got one more episode, which wraps up the whole four seasons. And then it's all done. And that's just done a complete rug puller on the next to last episode. And that's a show that just keeps you on your toes all the way through and you can never be sure what direction it's going to be taking you in. I can't wait to see how it resolves because I've got so much faith in the creative team behind that show. I've, I've yet to catch up with it. I saw the first season. I got into season two and I and I lost interest in it and, and I should go back to it. But Sam Esme is a fantastic, yeah. a fantastic writer and complete vision. Uh, the other thing I'll, I'll mention, Doctor Who's back in the new year. It is, yeah. Looking uh, forward to that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jodie Whittaker. She's great. She really made the role her own. It's not just the fact that she's great in that role. But it's always, she's always playing the Doctor. It's interesting, have you seen the, um, whether it's just for a one-off, but the new costume reveal? Oh, no, I've not. Um, looks very Patrick Troughton. Oh, really? Dick, oh, well, you see. Bow, that was my Doctor. quarter coat, tra- like trousers that don't quite fit. Looks very Patrick Troughton. Yeah, you never, you never got to a place and thought, this isn't Doctor Who. This isn't that character, because it's always the same character. It's yeah. just interpretations by, by, you know, the different Doctors or the different actors. So I, I never felt that it wasn't a continuation. It didn't feel like it stopped and then suddenly became a female Doctor. It was always the Doctor. Yeah. And that was down to the strength of the character and the strength of her. Uh, the other thing I'm looking forward to is um, there's an adaptation of A Christmas Carol with Guy Pearce, which looks quite interesting. And I'm always up for another Christmas Carol interpretation, as I think my Blu-ray of A Muppet's Christmas Carol has now run out. I, think I, <laughs> I don't know if I can go back this year yet. So um, at this point... We get on with the movie news, and it's been a bit, bit quiet, hasn't it's it? It's a bit light. I mean, it's that time of year that pretty much everything is already set in stone. The winding down for the Christmas period, and um, we'll start to see a lot more news start to come out in the early part of the year as we hit rewards season, and then all the 
after effects of such and such is up for an award. So this, this director behind it has now got this project, etc., etc. But we're at that dead time for news. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing. I mean, it just come out today is news that um, Suicide Squad, Fury and End of Watch director David Ayer is in negotiations to pen and direct a remake of The Dirty Dozen. He's the perfect director for that. As much as Suicide Squad is a mess, I don't blame him for the mess that it became because it was edited out of his hands. When you look at films like End of Watch and Fury and see like how gritty and dirty he can make his films, Dirty Dozen, perfect. I mean, Fury is the one to more or less translate across to Dirty Dozen to see how he tackled war approach of films. He's a good guy on a mission director. Yeah. He's, he, he, he's down and dirty. I quite actually quite like Bright as well, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I think it sort of falls apart in the last act. Uh, And I have uh, read an earlier screenplay of it, which seemed a bit more compact, and I don't know why they didn't didn't go for that. But uh, I quite like Brian. I don't like his style. Apparently, he's not going to be setting it World War II. Oh, really? It's going to be a more conventional warfare. That's interesting. See, if you're going to, that's the good point of of doing a a remake well uh, and, and not sticking to, closely sticking to what the original source material is. Because the source material's out there, and it's still. A great movie too. I love the Dirty Dozen. I, I do. I do have a thing for Men on a Mission movies, and that was my big disappointment with Inglorious Bastards because it wasn't the Men on a Mission movie that I thought it was going to yeah. be. But I, I do like that that sort of that that genre, like a, like a good heist movie. I think he's the right guy for it, and I and I'm very I'm more taken now with the idea that it's not a a, a period piece and it's more going to be more contemporary. So on the last thing on the Dirty Dozen remake, Simon Kinberg is going to be producing. Uh, who was behind Murder on the Orient Express. And, um, and sadly, Dark Phoenix, but we'll, yeah. <laughs> that, we'll brush that one under the table. Uh, there's been a, a few trailers released recently, the ones that have whetted me appetite. The Quiet Place 2 one, which is literally a tease trailer and shows yeah. you nothing, just made me go, oh yeah, that's not far away. And I got excited. But um, Nolan's next one, Tenet. I know nothing about Tenet. I, I love the clever logo, by the way. If you've not seen it, it's got a very clever logo. I have no idea what it's Espionage, action, thriller, time hints travel? of time travel in there. Is it the, the, the organisation he works for is called Afterlife, yeah. I'm assuming? I have no idea what it's about. It looks very Christopher Nolan. And of course, if it is Christopher Nolan, there'll be time jumps plenty in, in the plot. Yeah, I can't tell you what I think about it because I had watched it and was <laughs> utterly confused. It's one of those trailers that makes you go, I'm excited about this. I don't know what I'm excited for, but yeah. I am excited about it. And Nolan tends to deliver. Yes. I, I love Dunkirk. I really love Dunkirk. Dunkirk was a solid film. I prefer his, his non-Batman work to his Batman work, but I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm as intrigued as everybody else is because you know at least it is going to be a cerebral and visual film. Final bit of news for anyone who's actually interested. The Jackass franchise is still going. Really? They are, You're they right, are I wasn't interested. March the 5th, 2021 release date for the fourth Jackass film. And the whole lot of the gang are coming to do their stupid stunts. Never, never a fan. I, I kind of am and not. At times I just think that this is just nonsense. But other times it gets genuinely funny. And I just get caught up in it. But the last film was focused too much on the sicker, more twisted aspect. But hasn't of it. YouTube sort of supplanted Jackass? Yeah, I'm, I mean, is it not so passe now? I mean, they've tried like doing the kind of spin-offs, like the Bad Grandpa. Yeah, I saw that, and I, and I chuckled a couple of times. But they've not worked as to make as much bank as what the Jackass films, because despite whether you like it or hate it, they are cheap to make and they rake in the cash. Yeah. 
Or, or will they? I mean, as, as it, is it one of those, I mean, everybody would have thought that Terminator would have, uh, have made money and it didn't. Is it, is it one of those which is, it was of its time and there's a generation now who just go, jackass, I don't care. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the run to it, how big the publicity is around it and whether it actually does get a cinematic release or whether it just goes straight to streaming. It feels like a straight to streaming. I, I feel that Netflix kind of pick up would be the ideal avenue for it at this, at this point in time. Talking of Netflix, I found out there's going to be a Fast and Furious animator series going straight to Netflix. Can't see... An I, I guess they're expanding an the empire now. An interesting avenue to take. Yeah, I, I can't see how uh, it, it's going to take off. And of course, there's still the... Uh, there's now the Kevin Smith Master of the Universe series and there's another Master of the Universe series both happening simultaneously. Work that one out. <laughs> So the other bit of news I've got is uh, Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. It's a 27-disc 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray box set, which is due out next year. And That's a lot of work. It is. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, what's in what's in 27 discs now? You're looking at three discs per movie. So you're yeah. looking at like a movie, all the behind-the-scenes features, any extras. But yeah, three discs on Blu-ray. So is that, is that going to include Rogue One and Solo as part of that? Do you think? I've read somewhere that no, they're not getting considered as part of it because it's just purely the nine-part Skywalker saga. Right. So do we get the original cuts then as part of that? Again, that's looking unlikely. While nothing's confirmed on there, and I know that it's been speculated that they're trying to get their hands on it, but there's rumours that Lucas has made the original versions before he's touched it for the special editions completely unavailable. Right. He, cla- he claimed about eight years ago that those original versions don't exist in any way, shape or form because they destroyed them. Yeah, I kind of don't believe that. Yeah. I, I, funny enough, I was digging out through my, my loft not that long ago and I found the VHSs. <laughs> When it first came out as a VHS box set. I picked up when they did the DVD editions where you got the original versions as part of the DVD set. But even they were just ripped from the Laserdisc editions. Right. So even then it wasn't a restoration and it was Laserdisc quality. And I'm not convinced that we'll see them get released. If they do, it's highly possible that I might stump up that amount of money for the box set just to get them. Even though I own, I don't want the prequels. I've I got bought the the prequels when they came out on DVD, and I've never watched them. I've never seen them again. I don't think at any point they've ever been played. Well, it's probably best that way. Yeah, they've, they've never been played. I don't think they've, one of them, Revenge of the Sith, I don't think it's ever been out of the wrapper. I, I carefully raised my children to not know that the prequels existed, except as part of the Lego games, and it was only in recent years when they suddenly all dropped on Sky Movies. That did, you suddenly discovered there was more films. Did they feel cheated? <laughs> They've not spoken to me since. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. So that's a nice segue then into into our, our feature review, um, talking about cats. No, <laughs> talking about uh, the new Star Wars film, which we both saw. Although we, we can just quickly, quickly mention on cats that. Yeah, uh, should we get it out of the way? Let's get it out of the way. This is a film that was being edited and having CGI added to it right up until Sunday, just gone. And then literally three days later was when the prints got delivered to cinemas. I never want to comment and I would never, I would never will review a film that I, I've not seen. What I'll do is I'll talk about it objectively, what I know, but I can't, I can't review. And I've not seen Cats. It opens as we're recording this today uh, on the 20th of December. So uh, the press screenings never came out in the further north of um, Leicester Square. Yeah. So I've not seen it. I've read the reviews. I've seen the critical panning that it's got. 
It's not that long ago, though. I remember a critical panning for Greatest Showman, which proved to be a huge box office success, um, beloved by millions. My partner thinks it's one of the, it's her favorite film. She absolutely adores it, and I think it's a film that found an audience despite the critics. But is Cats? Do we do we feel that Cats will be that film? Cats looks like it's going to do well over the first and second weeks, but I don't think it's one that's going to have legs. Uh, the pro legs. It'll have four legs. Let's pause for thought. <laughs> Let's uh, get it out of the way. <laughs> get all the puns out of the way. It, I reckon it'll do enough money. I. It seems that they were so committed to bring it out before Christmas because they want to ride that Christmas box office business where people will just flock and see anything yeah. just to pass the time. They've forced it through. Apparently, there's unfinished effects work in there. The Judy Dench's hand, according to some reports, at some points has her wedding ring on, and at other points it's turned into a cat's paw because they've not finished it, or because they wanted to make sure they hit this deadline rather than delaying it until January when there's going to be a lot of strong... Well, particularly in the UK, all the awards-heavy material yeah. comes out, and then it's going to have some serious competition because cats against Star Wars, while you think, why would you bring something out against Star Wars? It's the polar opposite kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I know. It's always good. It's always good planning. And people have said that. Why would you do something? So whilst all like all people like us, the geeky fanboys, the, the sci-fi fans and the action adventure fans are flocking to Star Wars, the other audience have cats to go and see. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, it's a, it is a canny move. There should always be counter-programming to the, to the big movies that, that my mom would never go and see Star Wars, but she would probably go and sit in a cinema and watch cats. I don't think she will go and sit in a cinema and watch cats, but... Nevertheless, it's that sort of film. I think the main problem with it is is a it wasn't a particularly very good good musical. No, in all honesty, it's a series of vignettes. There's no through storyline, which never translates. I was having this exact conversation at work yesterday when I was saying I, I, I hate cats, and someone said like, "Well, you don't like musicals." Like, actually, you'll find I, I love, love a good musicals. musical. I can't wait for you, West Side Story from put, Spielberg. You put My Fair Lady on the big screen, I'll be there. You put Clancy Jane on the big screen, I'll be there. Evita etc. I, I will love it. But you put Cats or Starlight Express and I'm not bothered because yeah. the, the, the like you say, they're not a, not got a story to them. I want my musical journeys to tell me a story. An emotively strong story. And it's, it's kind of interesting as well that, you know, for a film that features Taylor Swift, one of the biggest artists in the world, that they've not done much around it in, in, in the build-up to it. There's not been... I mean, the trailer was, wasn't was particularly well-received. No. Uh, and, and the Twitter sphere... horrifying. <laughs> ...really turned on it. For a film that's got those massive stars in, there's not been a lot of press before it. No. There's not been a lot of, hey, this is a, a music video with, with Taylor Swift in. You know, that would you think would be the big pushing point? Because clearly she's in it to, to push to an, another audience. I'm not so sure that it'll be a huge box office flop. As I say, I think it might find its audience in the first couple of weeks. It might be one of those films which is so bad it's good that people watch it. But I do believe that the visual style is going to be the off-put. Yeah. And I don't think that's translated very well. There's something, the anthropomorphic look to it does feel sort of wrong. And it, it's a bit like, I had the same reaction to Polar Express. There's something about Polar Express, which I know a lot of people love, the, the animation style, the, those dead eyes staring back at you, uh, quote from Jaws, is that, you know, it, I can't love Polar Express. It feels there's something about that that look to it, which is just not there for me. And I think Cats yeah. suffers from that, from, from what I've seen. But we could be wrong. We could be talking about this uh, in the next show. And it's broken all box office records. 
a film that is destined to to break some records. Whether it'll be the most successful out of the out of the series, I don't know. As of course, Star Wars. We've passed on all we know. A thousand generations live in you now. But this is your fight. You're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. Taking one last look at my friends. You will die. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Now, we both saw this. Yes, we both caught it yesterday on the opening day. Yeah, we did, because we are. We do the geek work for you. We are your geek army. And we are the audience who've been with this franchise since it launched. You know, for me, I've said many times that my earliest childhood memory was age four watching Star Wars when we were down at London with relatives for the new year in 1977. So I got to see it during that, like, back in those days in the UK. If you weren't in London, you had to wait an extra month for things to come out. That's right. I remember going to see it. I finished school early and a couple of friends and I, we got on the bus and we kept, we went to uh, the cinema in, in, in town I grew up in. And there wasn't a queue because our, our school finished early before the other school. So literally, while it, the, the opening day had been absolutely people queuing around the block, we kind of walked in sort of mid-afternoon and uh, and it was busy. And I've done a lot of radio interviews over the last week talking about Star Wars and talking about Cats and, and its it, its significance. And, and significance for me is it was the first time and everything I collected about it, I knew the story before I saw the film. Talk about not going in spoiler-free. I'd already read the Star Wars adaptation. The Marvel by, comic adaptation at the time. I there would was, grab anything. There was like TV specials showing the behind the scenes yeah. thing, which was shown in the UK before the film came out. So you knew everything about this film because the, it was summertime in 77 it came out in the US. Yeah. And like I say, it was Boxing Day 77 in the West End of London and then mid-January. 78 then. Yeah, 78. Wow. I've been trying to work out my 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 years on when it. I didn't realise. Because for me... Earliest childhood memory, and it's definitely the thing that put me on the track to loving film Absolutely. and wanting to be involved in film. And all my life and career has all mapped out from that one point. I would totally agree. I think it forged a lot of my identity. It was the first film that spoke to me in the language that I understood. I was a comic geek. I'd always loved science fiction. I was kind of the odd one out at school because I loved science fiction, loved comics, though I don't think I, many of my friends uh, were into it at all. Uh, you know, when you think of Marvel now and you think of comics, it, they are an international language. Back then it wasn't, especially in the UK. So Star Wars, uh, we'd had Star Trek up until then, but but proved my identity. And then, you know, we the the floodgates opened because soon after Star Wars, Close Encounters came out. Yep. And Superman I, in 78 as well. Superman, which is just nearly my all-time favourite film, even so more than Star Wars. Superman has a, is, is very personal to me, and it's uh, uh, it's a film that my, my dad and I bonded over, and we had a, a, a difficult relationship, but it's the film that we bonded over. So Superman always, will always beat Star Wars for me, but Star Wars changed everything, changed the way I, I, I had folders of clippings from the press and everything. And it was the first time I totally, totally geeked out. And uh, uh, between Star Wars and, and some of the, the bands I got into. 
around that period, it changed. And my it life. really pushed like the collector's culture and also like you know, the, the merchandise culture. You know, as kids, we all had like the action figures and we would tell our own stories using them. But also bubblegum cards, which had usually traditionally just been for sports heroes, yeah. Yeah. were now... I, I, I collected them as a kid, the Star Wars bubblegum cards. Yes, me too. The bubblegum was awful, but you didn't care because you got cardboard. two cards. It was like in, pink cardboard. You got two cards in each pack and you wanted to get all 180 yeah. of them. I did the same with the Superman one. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I collected the Superman ones as well. But it started that kind of, okay, bubblegum cards are for everything. And since then, pretty much every major franchise had like collector's cards. Mm. Obviously, we don't get them as bubblegum cards anymore. We now get like the little booster packs of special collector's cards. Yeah. Marvel in the 90s every year did a whole different set of Marvel Masterworks collectibles. That's right. uh, and insisting that you needed to collect all of them in order to get all the shinies. But it really boosts that culture. Then there was the uh, sticker albums by Panini. Yeah. Which, again, used to just be for sporting events like your World Cup yeah, football yeah. and things like that and suddenly became like, here's your Star Wars one, here's it your Empire. opened the floodgates. I remember getting a Dune sticker album. Really? Oh. That, that's how bizarre it got. It's like, Dune, of all things? <laughs> because but, really, up until that point, uh, especially with, with Geekdom, if you've ever seen the great series on Netflix, The Toys That Made Us, there's a Star Trek episode. Yeah. And, you know, there was never good Star Star Trek merch. Uh, I was a big Doctor Who fan. There was never Doctor Who merch. And, and even... I feel jealous that in the US, the Mego toys for yeah. Star Trek were quite big, but we never really saw them over Yeah, it. we never got the superhero ones. Yeah. And so, you know, merch now is, is you know, it's it's fantastic. And look back and think, you know, it was it was a, there was a dearth and, and, you know, my pockets were ready to spend. There was just nothing to spend it on. So, uh, I mean, going into this is what we're, we're saying is that, that we are uh, Star Wars, Star Wars fans. I mean, it's been a troubled history. Empire Strikes Back came out, blew me away, still does. I think I've probably seen Empire more than any of the Had a Star Wars. critical reception when it came out, though. Did it? Which people kind of forget. Um, I did, I did forget. It's um, approximately, in the six, if you took the Rotten Tomato score kind of meter today that they use and just use the critics from that time. Someone did this on Twitter a few right. days ago. They went back to all the old reviews and worked out what Rotten Tomatoes would have given, like scored everything. And apparently Empire would have been about 60-odd percent. Really? And that's... that's which the... most people look at Rotten Tomatoes these days and when something's below 70, go, oh, that must be rubbish. It's like, well, guess Empire Strikes Back is rubbish yeah. then. I mean, now you look at the Rotten Tomato meter for Empire Strikes Back and it's in its 90s. Yeah. Because people have retroactively reviewed it. People like me and you. Yeah. Who've grown up with it and loved it, gone on to be critics, typed up their reviews, been submitted and they've been added to the score meter. And that's what people forget is that none of the Star Wars films have been well received on initial release. So whilst you're looking at Rise of Skywalker at the moment and seeing like some really negative reviews, remember Return of the Jedi was about, it was in the 50s. Return of the Jedi's got a panning. I remember it getting a panning because of the, the holy Ewoks scene, because it didn't, people were then comparing it to Empire and yeah. it wasn't seen as as strong as Empire. Because Empire was criticised at the time for for feeling like an incomplete story, for feeling dark and oppressive and feeling like it's undone everything that was started. Kansas sounds familiar to all the criticisms done to Last Jedi. <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we got the prequels. I was as excited as everyone else for the prequels. I was there early. I got to see uh, the, the premiere of uh, Phantom Menace. It was exciting. I remember going to a press show for the first trailer. We had to sign our life away in blood 
to not talk about it until it, it was seen on the screen. And we went to a press show just for a trailer for A Phantom Menace. And it, the trailer was a hell of a different film in my head than, than what we got with Phantom Menace. Oh, look, the whole lot of the marketing for Phantom Menace like led me to walk into that film really excited, really like looking forward to it. The trailers looked amazing. Even the Padres scenes, which drag on far too much in the film, mm. they looked so dynamic and energetic in the trailer. You're just like... I want to know what this pod racing thing is. And then when you watch the film, it's like, I don't want to know any more about pod racing. Please, please stop with the pod racing. It does doesn't it? I've only, I, you know, I, we, we talked about this just before we came on air. I got bought the the, 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 the first trilogy as a, as, a, as a DVD set. I've never watched them. They're kind of waiting one day to show my son if he gets into it when I get a bit older. But... I've got no reason to address them. I've seen them. If and, he's been and bad. <laughs> yeah. You must watch Attack of the Clones. And I saw Attack of the Clones in Australia, 20th Century Fox. Paid for me to see it while I was in Australia. Found me a, a special screening. And I, and I remember that more than I remember the movie because it was it was great. I was in Australia at the time working. It oh, To me, it should have been the first film and completely forget Phantom Menace. Um, the, trilo- the first trilogy has been done better with Rogue One as a, as a, as a prior trilogy. And that brought us onto it. And then, and again, I've said this uh, with lots of radio pieces I've been doing all week. The Force Awakens come, comes out and it had a lot of work to do to bring back fans. We, it was a tainted movie series at this point. The third films had a lot, uh, uh, left, left most people disillusioned by it. It got to the stage where it didn't have realistic effects. It was all, all CGI and green screen, and it came back, and, and Force Awakens did a big job. It's a lot of heavy lifting with that film because visual effects have moved on. They're, they're, they're now seamless, but to use practical effects again and be shot on location rather than in a studio in Australia, it felt like a Star Wars film. And yes, it was a familiar plot, Yeah, but it brought people back to it with that familiarity. It needed that to remind us what we loved about Star Wars because we were... By the time Force Awakens came out, we were all quite sceptical. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, we'd been disappointed three times because Phantom Menace let us down. But we hoped that... We kept hoping the next one would be the one. And then it's like Revenge of the Sith. Oh, well, this is going to have the final confrontation between, like, Obi-Wan and Vader. And, oh... Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I've got the higher... Oh, just don't even start. And it just all fell apart. And so it was... Despite the fact that the animated series were doing okay, although occasionally going into mediocre territory, there was some really good stories in the Clone Wars series. Never, never followed it. I... Whenever they did like a three-parter, it was a great one-and-a-half-hour movie. Right. Um, whenever it didn't, it was usually something with Jar Jar Binks or C-3PO. And right, it just needs never called And when it focused on like the clone troopers uh, and like just getting you to like feel some association with them... Great little different kind of story set within the Star Wars universe. Kind of like important that it made you latch on to like some characters who would then betray the Jedi's in the next film. It was just like very cleverly done. But overall, it was like, yeah, not needed. And The Force Awakens came back and it, and it, it felt fresh, even though it felt familiar. It, 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 was, it did a lot of heavy lifting, as I said earlier. Uh, Last Jedi confounded a lot of people. I like it more than most because it did... Everything that no one expected. Yeah. It took a chance. It took a risk. You, when you hire a director like Ryan Johnson to make a film, he isn't going to defy expectation. Uh, I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan. I think there were some odd mistakes in it. But you know what? No Star Wars film has ever been a film without odd mistakes in it, apart from Empire. 
and it had uh, it had some choices which sent fandom into into rages of uh, of uh, you know some people who are fans I've actually read actually went into puberty <laughs> because of that film. I thought it was a brave film. Did it work? Interestingly enough, I've not revisited it, and I was going to. I kept thinking I should before Rise of Skywalker. You're, you're of a different opinion than I am. I wasn't enamoured with it. I love how it looks. Uh, you know, like you said, Ryan Johnson's a great filmmaker and what he presents on screen is astonishing. And there's some moments in it that are absolutely brilliant. Holdo's sacrifice is one of the most visually impressive moments that the Star Wars franchise has ever delivered. And I I don't fault the film for what it looks, the stylings of it. I love the Atat's like approach and like the strange speeders that they got on the planet with like kicking up the dirt and showing the red salt. It did look great. It was visually an impressive film. I have problems with aspects of the story. I have problems with the fact that, you know, oh, we'll just keep pursuing them from this distance because we can't catch up with them, but they'll run out of fuel eventually. It's like, well, we're not going to run out of fuel. Why don't two of you just jump ahead and we'll pen them in and then it's all over. You know, there's and it was a Battlestar Galactica plot as well. There's loads of bizarre like storyline choices. It's hard when you've become so attached to certain characters to accept when that character is acting very differently than mm-hmm. what your expectations were. And I know it's like that gatekeeping fanboyish aspect. And in in hindsight reflection, there's things like, you know, the way that Luke acted. A load of people were like, oh, well, that's disgusting. Oh, how could they do that kind of disrespectful thing? But when you consider Luke had begun full Yoda. Yeah. He'd gone into the hermit life and basically turned away from it. Because when you met Yoda for the first time in Empire Strikes Back, he was very flippant and like, Jedi's not great. Yeah, he was hiding away. He was, yeah. in, he was in exile. So, you know, Luke had gone full Yoda. He, he wanted it all behind him. He didn't want to get involved in it anymore. And he didn't think that you should train anyone else up because it only leads to trouble. Yeah. It was logical. The, the Luke storyline was logical. It wasn't what fans wanted. They my, wanted my biggest the team problem up. Is that the little like subplots of them going off onto the casino planet to yeah. go and seek all that is completely unnecessary and irrelevant to the story it, because it, they fail. It just takes up so much runtime for no reason except for just to give some characters something to do. Yeah. And whilst it introduced one one character who I'd love to see a spin-off movie of, uh, Benicio Del Toro's um, schemic gambler, I'd love to see a spin-off movie of that character because he seemed so interesting, even though he'd, like, he turned against them and was effectively a bit of a schmuck. But it, it didn't need anything. And then there was like, characters who'd been built up on The Force Awakens that you got a sense that there was more importance to them that were just then cast aside. That's um, Snoke. Snoke. So yeah, there's also um, the character uh, Captain Phasma, the silver stormtrooper like commander, who just, once she gets to her final fight, it's just over so quick and you're just like, was that it? But does anybody remember what happened to Boba Fett? After the build-up well, of Boba well, Fett? Well, yeah. <laughs> I suppose you could say that that's like the Boba Fettish kind of character, yeah. someone who looks so impressive and has this history that you don't know and then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're never going to find anything else. But it just felt like, it felt like Ryan Johnson was deliberately upsetting the apple cart to me. I wasn't ready for that because I was embracing what J.J. Abrams was doing with like his classic traditional themic storytelling aspect. So Last Jedi was a a jarring film for me. Not a bad film. Not a bad film at all. I I think it's it's been slated unnecessarily. and... And I've said many times that if it wasn't the named characters that I already knew, that exact same film would work for me. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that it was named characters that I already knew that 
upset me. And that takes us really into Rise of Skywalker, which JJ came back for. He wasn't the original choice to... No, it was uh, Trevorrow, um, director of Colin Trevorrow. Yeah, who did... uh, uh, Jurassic World. Jurassic World. He's credited as one of the writers on it, and he was originally... There's been many reasons stated. We don't know the truth of why he didn't come in. But JJ took over the mantle again, and quickly, very quickly (laughs) in the film, a lot of what Ryan Johnson had put in place gets thrown out. Yeah. I mean, I've got in the notes that, that this film, Rise of the Skywalker, doesn't exactly pick up from where Last Jedi left off. Instead, it rapidly undoes all the events of that film before picking up from where Force Awakens left off. Yes. It almost makes it unnecessary. I mean, it, it, it doesn't quite. I and mean, yes, you do have to see it because there are, there are big moments, big character moments that stem from that. But a lot of it you feel has, has, has been, um, a lot of the events that happen in the film has been overshadowed. So what we like about it and what we dislike about it. So we'll start with the dislike. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, be heads up. I really enjoyed it. I think it's very flawed. I have seen reviews that say this is a mostly terrible movie. I've seen terrible movies, as have you. Yeah. <laughs> and we've sat through enough terrible I've movies. I've sat through Paul Blart, Molecop. I've seen terrible movies. We've seen terrible. <laughs> this is not a terrible movie. It's a flawed movie. It's the best looking out of any Star Wars film. Oh, it's, it's simply it's gorgeous. beautiful. It's very hard now to be blown away by special effects. Going back to 1977, 78, when I saw Star Wars, you were blown away in the first 30 seconds of that film with, with the Imperial cruiser coming over, over the top, you were gobsmacked. Those moments are gone. We have great special effects on TV weekly. So to have astounding special effects in the age of Endgame and, and, and just, you know, I've seen episodes of Doctor Who with good special effects. Yeah. In. It was a, a, a beautiful looking film of which the, the effects work, it's seamless. There is one slightly bit of dodgy CGI in it in the entire film. And if you've got an entire film and that you notice that, then it just proves that special effects will always be special. It is a simply beautiful film. What I That's what I liked about it. It was great seeing the characters. It was great seeing, a, a, I thought, the satis- a really satisfying resolution to the whole saga. Yeah. Um, it, we're going to give them no spoilers as well. Yeah, just point we're, out. We're, if you're worried because you've not seen it and you're worried that we're going to touch on spoilers, we're not on this one because we don't feel that there's a reason to no. touch on spoilers on this one. Unlike when we did Joker and we had to, yeah, so had to explore the film by touching on spoilers. With this one, it's Star Wars. yeah, And yet the resolution, it pays off. Yeah. It sticks the landing for me. It it really like feels satisfactory. It's just that that resolution comes in the last hour of the film. And it's the first hour of the film that has the problems. Yeah, it it jaunts about. You never get a sense of where you are because it, it jumps from one planet to another planet, to one plot line to another plot line very, very quickly, exhaustingly so. We're introduced to a couple of new characters or interesting new characters. It felt as though they were trying to pack in as many ideas and as many plot points because this was the, the resolution and it couldn't let anything hang over. Uh, and it jumps about. And it, the first hour of that film is exhausting. An awful lot happens. And my brain was screaming to say, guys, I want to, I want you to just sit down and have a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got the impression that there's about half an hour's worth of like footage that was cut out to just get the runtime down that would have like paced that first hour better. Yeah. Because it just literally feel... I was watching the latest episode of The Mandalorian 
this morning, like coincidentally. Uh, final episode of the series, absolutely brilliant series. But when I was watching the previously on The Mandalorian kind of thing, and that's what the first hour of Rise of Skywalker feels like. It feels like a previously on. Yeah, because yeah. it cuts from like quick scene, quick scene, quick scene, quick scene, quick scene. Yet it's not things that we've seen before. So it doesn't work in that context because you're trying to latch on to like what the story's doing. And it does take a lot of concentration to do it. I can understand some people who then got halfway through that first hour and just went, I'm writing it off. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done now. And then weren't, weren't in the right frame of mind to appreciate the latter half of the film when it does slow down and it does become a typical, you must go to this planet, find this item, you need to take this item to this door, da-da-da-da-da, and it's a, it's a traditional quest movie. Yeah, it's a, there's a, a the MacGuffin, uh, and there's a MacGuffin early on in the film, which is which is really weak and doesn't actually pay off for much. But, but once it finds its feet, once it has that ability to slow down, explore the characters, there's a quite an interesting dynamic move in the story about halfway through. That that suddenly sends it in another direction, but there's a there's a lot of pacing issues in the first half. But my overall thoughts of it are that it's it, it's an enjoyable film. It suffers for the, exactly the same reason that I think all Star Wars films do when they try to tie everything up. Can can we also just mention that Adam Driver is the MVP of this trilogy? Yes. How amazing he has been since Force Awakens right through to the very end. He's he's just really delivered this turmoiled character because he's not inherently bad. He's he's what Anakin Skywalker should have been in those yes. prequels. Someone who's seduced by the dark side, but you can still see that there was some good within them. Yeah. And he he delivers it perfectly. There's an unnecessary cameo in it for me. Yeah. We talked about this. Uh it'd be interesting to know your thoughts, get in touch with us. Uh, via Twitter, but there's an unnecessary cameo which slightly slows the film down. I didn't think the the, the film needed it at all uh, because then we get another cameo almost directly after it and you, it starts to feel like too much fan service. Ultimately, it was a satisfying resolution and in a really nice way that took us to exactly where we needed to be. And if you're a fan of the original trilogy, there's a nice little, little pointer as well. Yeah. A little Easter egg. Not even little, it's a big obvious Easter egg. <laughs> and it ties up almost 40-odd years worth of, of uh, Star Wars lore out of it. So, did we like it? It looks great. I think we agree that it looks amazing. The score by John Williams is as impressive as ever, drawing on old themes. It sounds great, and it does what pretty much every Star Wars film has done for the past four films, where there's that one moment where all the sound drops out and it goes silent. And we should be ready for this by now, but wow, it still hits you on the moment, it really drops you into the moment. The action's fantastic, and the prequels still exist. So yes, we enjoy it a lot more than the prequels. Yes. It's not a perfect film. It's a satisfactory resolution. It's got problems. But what film doesn't have problems? Yeah. Too many people seem to want this to be a perfect film. Yeah. And if you're going in wanting a perfect film, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. But you need to accept the problems that it has in order to appreciate how it does wrap things up in quite a good way. The failings of this film come because J.J. Abrams. And it's not that I don't like his writing. I love J.J. Abrams' style of filmmaking. I love his writing. I love his storytelling aspects. It's the fact that he did Force Awakens with all these ideas of what he wanted to do with the characters and then walked away from it and let someone else play in the sandbox without telling them what his plans were. Someone else came along and upset 
like what his plans were. So when he's come back, he's obviously like, well, I wanted that and this is my idea. And so he's forcibly restored it back to where he wanted. That's where the problem is. If he had stayed for the whole trilogy, I think we would have had a very different outcome critically than what we're seeing at the moment. Because I think people would have gone along with the ride a lot more. But it's Ryan Johnson's unique way of approaching this the series, which I can't wait to see what he does with his own Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. When movies. he plays to play, he creates his own sandboxes. I, I love him as a writer. I mean, we're going to talk about it in a minute when we talk about uh, our top films of 2019. But Ryan Johnson's name is very prominent. I just feel that having that mix of different creative ideas didn't quite work. And I know that you could say that the original trilogy was exactly the same. Because Lucas stepped away from Empire, but then even though it was someone else directing the third one, he was there on set every time yeah. to make sure it went his way. And it really has like created a disjointed trilogy. But that final final hour is a perfect ending to the Skywalk saga. Absolutely. So as Andy just said, uh, that Star Wars, hopefully you'll go and see it and make your own mind up. We're, we're there to offer our opinion. We're not there to guide you. Unless, of course, you want us to. <laughs> so that sounded creepy he did, and I meant to so we're at that point of the year when we look back and uh, I've, I found it hard this year trying to come up with my sort of top three films Andy's much more clearer than I am so you well, go first I did a full run through of year year by year month by month to see what films came out to remind myself and it was hard I didn't realise how much we've actually had this year I mean like starting with like Stan and Ollie in January and Glass Glass was this year I know, I, I, Stan and Ollie had been this year has completely thrown me. Yeah, we've had, like, Captain Marvel was this year. Endgame, yeah, I, I kind of knew it was this year, but it didn't feel that it was middle of this year. And it's amazing how much has packed into this year from, like, Tolkien, Rocketman, Booksmart, Godzilla, so much that I went through. And then I tried to whittle it down. And I wanted to whittle it down because said, we said when we were going to do this, we were going to have our top three each. And I've kind of cheated. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Because I've got me top three. Okay. But I've got me bubbling unders as well that I want in the top three, but I can't mention them because you can only do three. So my top three for, and these are the ones that impacted on me on the screen that as soon as I left, I initially wanted to rewatch again. I loved them. They did something that like was different to what I was expecting. Top of it, the list is Knives Out. Which we're both in agreement with. Ryan Johnson telling a great little clue kind of story with dialogue that just sizzles from start to finish. A cast who are clearly loving their roles and some great filmmaking choices. My favourite being, which I've spoken to you about. The Daniel Craig Daniel thing. Craig's mo whole monologue thing is these theorising things with the backdrop of the knives in the circle, which is beautiful framing anyway. And he, take, he starts all smartly suited and booted, takes off his jacket rolls up his sleeves as he's talking. And then by the end of it, he's put his sleeves back and fastened them up again and then put his jacket back on. So he's literally just going like to casual just to tell his story before he goes back to this, his serious approach. I love that choice. And it's such a great film. It's one of those ones that I've seen people like saying, like, we need to have a series of films with these characters in. I, I loved it. I'm in total agreement with you. Up. I think it was... Uh... It reminded me, and this in a, in a good way. And if if you if you know the series, you'll 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 stay with me. It reminded me of Columbo yeah. in the way that the best episodes of Columbo, you always knew what the killer was. It was about catching the villain. And uh, a friend and I were talking about Columbo just yesterday, and they were beautifully constructed, brilliantly written. Some of the the, the spectacular ones, the one with John Cassavetes in, and the one with Robert Culpin. 
uh, were, were fantastically made. And it had it had an essence of that. And I mean that in, in all its glory has been a, a fantastic piece of plotting with an interesting political undertone as well about yeah. racism, which if you don't notice, it doesn't harm it. But if you do notice it, it just gives it a, a credence. It gives it a, a contemporary feel and, and gives it importance. It really weighs it. It's got some beautiful dialogue in um I thought it was laugh out loud funny, even though half the audience I saw it with didn't laugh. I thought it was laugh out loud funny and, and it was dry and it was dark and it was clever. And it, and, and you know who did it yep. very early on. And so you, it defies the whodunit story by, by telling you who did it very clearly, states it very obviously. That's part of the joy of this film. It kept me guessing all the way through. And even if you guessed it, it's such an enjoyable romp, which is which it feels light and frothy, but there's so much going on. There's so much more detail to it that, that really works. So that that's our joint number one. We both love Knives Out. Up until Knives Out came out, Booksmart. Which was, I've not seen, which I know so many of my seen so enjoyment. many good lists. It's I mean, I loved Superbad yeah. when that came out. And it's it's a Superbad-esque kind of approach. It's a coming-of-age drama about friendship and love and how you move from school to high school and start to become an adult. I went in with no expectations and I loved it. I was in stitches at moments of it. It's got so much themes of like friendship and your heart, where, like how you adapt to your new life. Thoroughly recommended. It didn't do great at the box office. It didn't set anything alight, but it's one that picked up a bit of a following I've Six. heard nothing but good things about it. And your third? Ready or not. Okay, I thought you were going to go for Joker. Oh, well, it was a very close one. Um, but ready or not, I had so much fun with. I mean, I'm, you know that I'm a huge gamer anyway. Yeah. So having a film that works around a family who are obsessed with games because they create board games, but it's a, it's a like slaying one person, like ready or not, like we're going to capture and kill you kind of approach. I loved that theme. And I love the little nods towards gaming culture, board gaming culture that's in there. It grabbed me. I thought that she was a fantastic lead throughout it. I thought that the rest of the cast looked like they were having so much fun doing it. And it, it, it ranks alongside like Knives Out in that whole, you know that they had fun making it. So I'm going to have fun seeing what your end product is. That for me, and again, a film that didn't really set the box office on fire, but I always Found recommend its audience, didn't to, it? Yeah, I, I always recommend people to check it out on home release now. Get into it. You really need to see this. But yeah, Joker was one of my bubbling unders, uh, along with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Us, which um, was oh, yeah, I forgot that was this was year. a Twilight Zone esque kind of, and I yeah. love Twilight Zone. Um, Stan and Ollie. Yeah, all the, I'm agreeing with all of Ad these. Astra. Yeah, I I really liked Ad Astra. It got a bit of a critical mauling, and I can see why. But there was something that was that 70s science fiction feel to it, and uh, Brightburn. Which I've still not got around to see. Which I love alternate takes on superheroes and yeah. this whole like anti-Superman approach worked for me. My number two, number one is, is Knives Out. Number two is Avengers Endgame. It was the perfect ending in a way that, that's, that Star Wars nearly was. There's not, a, there's not a note wrong in that film. There is everything right. The moment when, and it'll stand out for me forever, and I'm doing it now, I'm welling up, is when Cap is facing down Thanos hordes as the true hero that he is, the, the true hero that we've come to come to see. And I, I watched uh, First Avenger and I've just watched all the Cap films again and everything's there. The clever thing about Captain America 
uh, and the series and the way the characters built, it all builds to that moment. Uh, and it's, it's an absolutely superb take on that character. But when he's facing Thanos and he's got that broken shield and he's the hero that we want him to be and he always will be, and you hear the Falcon say on your left, yeah, I cried like a small <laughs> girl. It was just beautiful because it just paid. See, all of that from that point onwards, like as they all start to portal in and like it builds it up and then climaxing with my like, cap with his Avengers assemble. Yeah. And you, that's it. Yeah, I was gone. I was, I was, I was cheering and crying. Uh, but it was, it was Sam saying on the left because it's something that he's, the first thing that he that he said to him at yeah. the beginning of uh, Winter Soldier, and it all accumulated all that work that that Kevin Feige, Marcus and McFeely, and everybody was involved in that brought to brought to their game, and I just thought it was perfect. I prefer Infinity War, mm-hmm. but Endgame was just and and to say that it's not cinema, the 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 final showdown is just beautiful. In the same way that Star Wars is beautiful, it's spectacular looking. And at every point in that film, in a big action sequence like that, you know where each character is yeah. on that chessboard. You never lost sight of any of the characters. I, I just, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned by it. I, I, I can't believe we live in a world where <laughs> Avengers Endgame exists. And then it, my, my third choice has been tough because I, 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 my list, Joker on it, it had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Just thought I'd bring a film that didn't get as much attention as it, as it deserved, and that was Yesterday. I really liked yesterday. There's there's a beauty to it. I'm a big Beatles fan. I'm, I'm my son's six years old and he's just getting into the Beatles and it's and it's an absolute joy. Showed him Hard Day's Night and Yellow Submarine the other day, and I didn't think he'd sit through either at six because he's got the attention span of a gnat, <laughs> and he 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 loved them and he loves the music and I can't wait to show him when he's old enough to get it yesterday. And I just thought as a musician. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> I would do exactly what that lead character does. And I'm a big fan of Danny Boyle and it was heartwarming and it was, uh, there was a simplicity to the plot. And Richard Curtis can be hit and miss for me. He does, have, he does bring so many Richard Curtis type tropes to the, to the party. And in this film, it all paid off. It all paid off beautifully. And I think it's a, it's a lovely little film that deserved to be seen by more people. Fully agree with that one. And I, and I totally, I'm totally on board with your others. And um, Joker, I thought Stan and Ollie was fantastic. It was poignant. Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood, just edged out because uh, I think we talked a lot about it, and it just made me think. Yesterday, just just stayed with me more than that film did. I mean, you mentioned what I've got action spectacles this year worth of mention. You've already mentioned Endgame as like one of your top three, but um, the very underseen Alita Battle Angel. You're right. I never saw it, which deserves to be watched. I didn't watch it when it first came out, and I regret not watching it on the big screen. Right. Because it's visually impressive, but it's also got quite a good heart to the story. It was a lot more than what I anticipated it to be. Uh, the very tongue-in-cheek Zombieland 2 and Hobbs and Shaw, which know exactly what they are as films. And I had so much fun watching on the screen. I have no intention to watch either of them again, but I had so much fun. Good fast food. We saw those together. We, they were, they were just fast, fast food, food entertainment. Yeah. And John Wick 3, which I love the John Wick series. Oh, it's brilliant. And again, it's a film that... Where the series has, has gone, you, you never saw that in the first film. You never saw the complexity of, of, of what it's become. And I, I, yeah, I adore them. I, I just watched two. I, it's on my Christmas list that hopefully Santa's going to bring me John Wick 3. Because, again, it, it, it's just a 
beautiful, beautiful visceral action sequences that are with each film. Death by book. Yeah. Death by book. <laughs> but yeah, I'll totally go with that for John Wick. Could say he broke his spine. Oh. Oh. Uh, so we turn a, a page on that. There's a criminal. Oh. There's a criminally underwatched film. Shazam should have done a lot better than what it did. Yeah, I like Shazam. Um, I, I, I didn't adore it. I liked it. Shazam is a character that I fell into before I fell into Superman. The Billy Batson episode, yeah. uh, 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 idea of saying the magic word and becoming a superhero has always appealed to me. My dad was a comic book reader and he introduced me to Shazam before Superman. So I've got a soft spot for it. The one thing... And I loved all the cast and I, I liked its approach and it it made Shazam not silly because Shazam is a very silly concept. Yeah. It was it was a superhero version of Big. Yeah. The only thing I didn't buy is that kid would grow up to be Shazam. Yeah. I just didn't see Billy Batson growing up to be Shazam. And that was the only sticking point I got into. And I wanted to see more of the Shazam family at the end. But yes, I did. I, I liked it. I will watch it again. Thankfully, it was a low-budget production, so it made its money. Well, so Shazam we, 2's just we been We are getting Shazam 2 and Black Adam. Yeah. Which, uh, which are going to be released months apart, aren't they? I know, and I don't... That's the, the DC, you're not quite playing game because you've had Joker do well. Black Adam's not a recognisable camera. Just just combine the two, please, DC, if you're listening. <laughs> and we know you listen. Biggest disappointments? Oof. Biggest disappointments? You've got me there. You go I for mean, yours. Dark Phoenix. See, I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to see it. Wrapping up the X-Men franchise now that it's out of Fox's hands. Well, it's not hands. wrapped it up. It's just shot it in the head. Uh, yeah. It, it, left it uh, face down in the dust. Yeah, it didn't even shoot it properly. It's left it screaming in pain and agony and <laughs> wanting to be put out of its mercy. Um, it, absolute mess of a film. You've got Men in Black International. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. And, and dead. And killed the franchise dead. Terminator Dark Fate. James Which, Cameron's back with story ideas. Well, James Cameron can go away again, please, because uh, that didn't work out. Would make a better TV series. And even Spidey Far From Home. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to disagree with you on Spidey. I enjoyed it. I get it. everything that you're going to say about it. I enjoyed it. I have no intention to watch it again because it, it's, once again, we're getting Iron Man Jr. as opposed to Spider-Man. And I want Spider-Man. I love the cast. I just don't like this dedication to linking up so much with the MCU that he's a junior. Every, even his villains are Iron Man villains now. Even yeah. though they were never were in the comics, they were always Spidey villains. They're now villains because Tony Stark betrayed me. Tony Stark did this to me. Stop with the Tony Stark. Or oh, Mr. Stark. The one thing that, that, that gave me joy in that film is the last 10 minutes. And really gave me joy. It was funny and I enjoyed it. I, I'm in total agreement with you. I'm, I wasn't as disappointed as you. But what gave me joy is when he's swinging through New York because that's where Spidey belongs. And yeah. we're still in this series, this incarnation of the character. That was the first time we saw him swing through New York because that's Ditko, Ramita, Gil Kane, um, Mark Bagley. That's my Spider-Man. And that was for the moment I, I felt on familiar ground. I'm great to see the twist. And if you, spoiler alert, J. Jonah Jameson appearing at the end was just, just made me laugh out loud and made me fill with joy. But yeah, I kind of get it. Captain Marvel was a disappointment for me. Yeah, I, th I think it could have been a lot more than what it is. I love the character in the comics, but I just feel that the, she's got undefined powers. Yeah. And that means that she's a deus ex machina. Yeah. And I've mentioned many times that I hate a deus ex machina. It's cheat 
to get out of a corner in a story. And basically she can do whatever the story wants her to yeah. do in order to get it out. And that conveyed in that film didn't quite work because of it. I want my heroes to have some kind of definition to their powers. And therefore a flaw. Yeah. I, I love her in the role. I think she is well cast. There's yeah. a lot of light about it. I love the setting. I loved it being set in, in, in that time period. It just felt, especially having watched Wonder Woman again, yeah. and how much heart was in Wonder Woman that needed to be in Captain Marvel. There, All the pieces were there. They were not necessarily in the right order to semi-quote uh, Eric Morgan. Yeah. So it's nearly Christmas. Have we got a Christmas one neat thing? My one neat thing, it's actually something that's coming to an end this weekend on BBC. They've been adapting Pullman's His Dark Materials. I plan to to binge that. And I mean, those who aren't aware of the book will be aware of the film The Golden Compass that came out about 10 years ago. So Daniel Craig in it. That had a good cast, but it, it didn't tap into the book and it was had production problems because they didn't want to, in order to not upset anyone in the US, because it can get very, very political over there. They severed so much aspects of the book. Whilst The Golden Compass looked good, this new adaptation is adapting the book a lot closer and it's not afraid to step on some toes and it's not afraid to be a bit darker. It's a co-production between HBO and BBC. So that's why... It's got that weight to it then. Yeah, they've, they've got the confidence to back up what they want to do with the story. It looks like it's going to finish at the end of the first book. It's already hinted and thrown in some aspects of the second book. I can't wait to see where they go on the second season and the third season. It's an absolutely solid production with an absolutely amazing cast, and I recommend everyone to check it all out. Like I say, final episode's on this weekend, which means that all the episodes are there on your old BBC iPlayer, or if you're in another country, wherever you can manage to get your hands on BBC products. Mine is, and and I've racked my brains this week trying to get a a one-note thing, and uh, it was nice that we got a Big shout out uh, to Big Potato Games who uh, who liked the last podcast. And I was thinking, oh, right, we can get some more listeners and we can do that. But I'm going to go with what was my original intention of what the neat thing is. Is My neat thing is sprouts at Christmas. I'm cooking Christmas dinner for the in-laws. I like, and everybody says that about sprouts. And I found a recipe uh, which was to slightly boil them, uh, add a little bit of sugar when you boil them, and then roast them with maple syrup. And there is, they are absolutely beautiful. Can I just have the sugar and the maple syrup? <laughs> Trust me, if you don't involved? like, traditionally like your sprouts boiled into insignificance, like Thanos crushing a planet, then if you want to do something tasty, and I'm, 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 I love Christmas dinner. I get rid of the presents for all I care. I just love, that's the high point. Of, of Christmas for me is Christmas dinner and sat around with the family and I'm doing a one on Boxing Day. Sprouts roasted with maple syrup or bechamel sauce if you want to do something a little bit different and bacon if, you, if you're non-veggie family. Uh, that's an, another recipe. But if you want to do something interesting and don't look at sprouts as going, oh my God, they are the Antichrist, that is my neat thing. Um, we should put a recipe on, on, our, <laughs> on our page and, and our write-up, but, but that's it. So it... That's it for um, not only for this episode, but probably for this year, because I don't think we're going to get a chance It's to unlikely because it's uh, going to be quite hectic over the Christmas period. January is looking very interesting for films, and we'll be there watching the films that perhaps you don't want to or can't even make, but we'll be there on your behalf. So just really have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas from me. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from me. And we'll see you next year. Bye.